day, and welcome to Our Power is Within, a weekly podcast that I hope will inspire you to take your power back and discover beautiful sources of self-healing that resonate with your heart. I'm your host, Chasmith. So today I want to keep our challenge simple. There are so many ways that we can enhance neuroplasticity for strengthening our brains day by day. One wonderfully simple and easy way is to incorporate using your non-dominant hands. So ideas for this are non-dominant hand vacuuming, brushing your teeth, writing, eating, and any other random tasks. But this week, I want to actually encourage you to join me and begin by incorporating non-dominant hand eating for one meal per, per day. So if you're anything like me and your experience ends up being anything like mine was at the beginning, you will probably look and feel like a three-year-old, but no worries. In no time at all, you will be a pro. (laughs) Okay. That might be stretching it a little, but seriously, it's not about the destination. It's about the experience along the way. So let's just say that we start with a goal of a one meal per day commitment for this one week and then go from there. And P.S. It's easier at first to use a spoon if that helps you pick which meal to practice at. Um, Yeah, I find a spoon is much easier than a fork. The first time I actually got through a whole salad with a fork, I was so excited. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But um, yeah. Um, I'm excited for you guys to practice this just one meal a day for one week to start. And if you're having fun with it, keep going, keep playing with it, allow yourself to get better and better, or, you know, we can try other things too. Anyhow, I feel like we're in for a treat today. You guys, Neil Falora is the founder of the brain warrior. He's wonderful, wise, and well-spoken. And the chat that him and I have gave me so much to think about, and I hope it does the same for you. When you hear him speak, you might feel the same way that I do, in that he is this natural speaker and leader, and he's born to be on stage speaking. There are so many golden nuggets in today's chats, insights for our own healing journeys, applying a lot of these concepts to parenting and setting our children up for success, as well as some solid recommendations from Neil. Stay tuned until the very end to see what he's up to these days, to learn more about his uh, business, The Brain Warrior, and learn how to connect. Also, check the links I drop in the show notes for how to not only connect to Neil, but also some links to access all the wonderful books, films, and speaker recommendations that he provides today. So let's go ahead and get right into the chat. All right. Welcome, Neil. Thanks for being with me today. Oh, thank you. It's it's awesome to be here. I've enjoyed getting to know you. I'm ready to dive in and have some great conversation. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I have no doubt that it'll be a great conversation for the listeners, given what we've already been talking about um, offline. So um, I think the like we kind of talked about, maybe the first thing we can do is have you do a little brief synopsis on your story, background, and what led you to the work you're doing today. Sure, absolutely. So I grew up 
in a household where my dad taught me to be really curious about everything. And since he blasted out of abject poverty, it was really about thinking differently and observing human behavior and even your own mindset. My dad was kind of more, let's say, theory than application. And so I found through my whole life that I was drawn to people or people were drawn to me in a way in which I was constantly advising them in some way. I then went through college and got into medical school. And when I got into medical school, I noticed something that I think I knew was going on in my body for some time. And when I went to my medical preceptors, they were just like, not very receptive. I don't want, know if you want me to say those kinds of things in your podcast, but they're, they gave me a few choice words and then they just said, go back and study. But mm. I needed to take a break. And so I did take a break and I jumped out into corporate America and I did a job where it was really cool and I did business development where I traveled around and talked to see sweet people and asked them what they needed in a biopharma biotech industry. And then I just decided that I needed to heal. And it was really until I met my present wife that she gave me the space and the opportunity to heal. And I jumped out of that so that I could really soak into my entrepreneurial desires, but most importantly, to heal this body. And I came to a place where I had 120 symptoms, uh, was in bed three to five hours a day easily, multiple naps, had so much brain fog that I remember going to the end of my block and thinking, I don't know where I am or where I'm going and just having to turn around and come home. Wow. And so, yeah, yeah. 120 and, symptoms? Yes, I cataloged them. I didn't think there were that many in the world. No, <laughs> that's, that's crazy. And how long were you encountering this for? Or, I mean, you probably didn't have all 120 at first, but what was the period from where you kind of first started noticing, you know, uh, did this dis-ease in the body through getting to the 120? You know, somewhere in college it, it started and it would come and go in different periods of my life, depending on relationships or stress or how I was eating I think within the last seven, maybe more, probably the last 10 years of my life, it was more prevalent and I had 95 more pounds on me and it was just not livable in any stretch of the means. So I just finally, because I'm just really tenacious, I started researching and I started figuring out there are people all over the world that were doing different kinds of this brain rewiring or brain healing or body healing. And I was talking to a gut expert, I believe it's now in Brazil, he was helping me. And he mentioned this course and uh, called DNRS or dynamic neural retraining system. And that started me down this journey of thinking, I knew it was a lightning bolt in me, I'm like, this is what's going to help me get to where I need to be. Mm, yeah, that moment where you're just like, you felt that it was exactly what you needed. You know, when you hear the truth, right? And that's yeah. one of the things that we we snow over in not only our state of health, but our state of mind is that we unfortunately dissociate from what we naturally know is our intuition or our gut state where we just can know that this is the answer. Right. But you felt it in that moment. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. It was like a lightning <laughs> bolt. Yeah. That's awesome. Looking back in like in hindsight, looking back, do you, did you ever, um, and we're going to get into more about the healing experience, but at any point, did you ever kind of look back on your life, your early childhood and throughout all the years that led up to the onset of symptoms? And did you ever notice like 
trends or patterns or a theme or ever kind of even have to figure out what was the catalyst to kind of initially catapult you into this path? Absolutely. And so what I would say to be brief is that I grew up in a much more mentally and sometimes physically abusive household. Um, okay. was, parents' relationship was dysfunctional. I had asthma as a kid, which was challenging for, on my adrenals. And also asthma is also a place in which you experience a challenge for breath, which adds to anxiety. I, I'm a very empathic person. So I was able to always really feel emotions, sense emotions, super sensitive to all of those things. So I would say all of those things had a, a contributing factor and not having tribally, not having good and a good idea for boundaries, which I think really honestly, one of the biggest issues in self-work and even in this rewiring work is that there are, there are not good boundaries and there are no role models for that. I kept encountering or sourcing the same kinds of situations in my life, which then accumulatively kept adding to the trauma that I already had. Right. Yeah. Boundaries is a big word that shows up in this community. I, I feel like I remember distinctly, I don't know which podcast it was, but I was listening to a podcast. I was 38 and I heard this maybe 37 and I heard this word boundaries and I was like, wait, what, what are those, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm in this work do, you know, all the time I've always been committed to growth, but somehow or another boundaries kept getting the bypass. It really is the bypass. And what I've found in, you know, what let's call it the last 20% of my quote unquote journey or wellness journey, as I now call it, is that's really the deep work is the core beliefs that I'm coming underneath. I'm just seeing that the boundaries that were defined for those or that the boundaries are still undefined at this moment, regardless of the fact, even if I know better, because there are subconscious routines and how do you, as a child, you have no control over what you osmose or what you unfortunately come under hypnosis about as you develop through your environment, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of, I guess, to me, the benefit of the brain rewiring programs is that we're literally using our mind. Who says that? Rick Hansen, we're using our mind to, um, change our brain to make like to change our mind for the better. So that way, eventually these subconscious programs are so redefined that we can actually, we know we're spending so much time in the subconscious, but now it's actually more aligned to those core values and those truths of who we are and who we, who we want to be. Oh, said so beautifully. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. So Let's go, let's go on this story again, this story journey, this journey of wellness. So you discover this DNRS and then what? So I discovered the DNRS and honestly, I had so much limbic resistance that for those of you who may not be familiar with that term, you know, there's an emotional center of the brain and it, it acts like a two to three year old. So we're, we're just kicking and screaming, not even doing this. And, and I jump in and I start doing it. And in six months I made a, quite a bit of progress. And I uh, noticed things were really different. Um, I mean, I started with so much brain fog in this program, there are certain things that you recite out loud, five to seven statements, and I actually had to tape them up 
around me in a circle because I could not, even though I had done it maybe, let's say, 50 times, I still could never remember what the next word was. So I made tremendous progress, and I did it with with buddies over the phone, especially one buddy. We did we did rounds and rounds every day. We did doubles and um, you know multiple rounds, and so that sort of led me through the last sort of two and a half years of doing this work. And now I'm at a place where I have gotten back up on stage. I have YouTube talks out there. I've done TV appearances. Um, I have an Ivy therapeutic spa that I'm part owner of. Uh, my brother and I have a social media app that we're trying to get into esports. My wife and I have an e-commerce, um, high ticket e-commerce site and all those things, you know, were part of my recovery. I think I did my journey a little differently. Some people sort of lay down their life and they don't do any of it or they don't do much of it until they decide that they're at a place where they can take it back on. And I really just, decided that I was going to go ahead and, and do these extraordinary things as a way to rewire. Um, I did end up putting myself in overwhelm <laughs> sometimes, and I've learned now I've cut way back on most of the other things I'm doing, and I'm really focusing just on my coaching, which is my passion. So you kind of just realized I have to think about what is my priority here and focus on that. Yeah, and what brings me the most happiness. I'm glad I did some of the other things, and some of the other things are still – are producing and and unfolding as we speak. But this is my life's work. This is why I've always been here. I mean, since the age of five, um, I know that I've been I'm here to do this kind of work and to stand for people in their transformation. So you, when you say this kind of work, you mean like transformational support? That's correct. I mean, right now I have a, a brand called the Brain Warrior that's about not just rewiring the the brain, but all the levels of mind and the body and my sort of take home message. What I do is I help people master. I teach people how to master their internal world. So their external world is simple. And I have a lot of techniques that I have read, digested, accumulated that fall under what I call the brain warrior methodology. Mm, okay. So let's see the brain warrior to rewire levels of mind and body master the internal world to make the external world simple. Do you have any examples of something just like something that might look like just for the listeners who might not understand brain rewiring yet? Maybe this is all new lingo to them and they're, sure. they're going, what does that even mean? <laughs> what does that even mean? So for me, there are a few things operating here is, is that even though we're conscious thought people are thinking brain only processes about 40,000 neurons, uh, neurons a second our subconscious brain processes at, at about 4 million uh, neurons a second. So it's the big computer, and the big computer in the back stores all your operating system. Anybody who has a smartphone can see all those apps running in the background. Well, you can kind of think about the brain, our subconscious brain is all those apps, except we can't swipe them close. We can't force them close. And so how do we change the unconscious routines that are dictating 95% of what you do, that's through an idea that the brain isn't static, it's neuroplastic and it can be molded. Now the add-on here is, is that we have, a, we have another mind that 
that we really don't pay attention to, and that's the body-mind. And the body-mind is everything the subconscious is feeling and thinking. It's really your subconscious mind. And for a lot of us who don't have chronic conditions, this may not seem relatable. But if you're anyone who has, let's say, constant aches and pains, you have di some digestive issues, there's some foods that you can't eat, you get a weird headache when you get into a certain amount of stress, all of those are expression of the, of the subconscious mind or the body. And, you know, without throwing out any medical claims here, most of all of those can be rewired um, as a result of thinking and feeling differently. So right. we're addicted to our echoes and becoming aware of those echoes and, and actually making new echoes or making a new state of being at a new SOB is, is the way to rewire. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, have you ever heard this uh, in the kind of science medical um, realm that they actually believe now that our subconscious is actually interwoven into our fascia? I have I haven't heard that. I haven't mm. heard that. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. What I would say is is that so much of our consciousness is not understood well and. You and I were briefly discussing this, you know, fact, and I can even th throw this one out there for the listeners: is that our our mind, our levels of mind, even our memories, are stored into different tissues, and they can show this scientifically now. There's a Harvard professor, I'm sorry, a Yale professor who wrote a book, and also by a guy named by Paul Parsnell wrote another book about the heart code, and basically it was heart transplant and other transplant recipients were receiving memory and characteristics that were so tightly correlated to their donors that it couldn't be refuted by science. Right. Um, and so, so for you to say that it's stored in some tissues, um, actually um, Bruce Lipton, who wrote the biology belief, if you watch any of his videos, um, he also says that anything with a feedback mechanism, meaning anything in your body, any cell, any nerve plexus that can send out information and receive it, has a level of memory and has a level of mind. So, um, yes, I strongly would believe that, you know, whether it's stored in the fascia or not, it's definitely stored in the tissues. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and then that's why I think why a lot of times people that sometimes do some level of um, – you know, somatic, have ex somatic experiences, or you've e there's even stories where people have massage where the massage therapist goes really deep into a certain part of their body and they just start crying and they don't even know why, you know? I've experienced that, experienced that myself and, and I believe that as well. And I think one of the things is that is that is why it's really hard for us to osmose this topic is one it's not modeled anywhere in our society right we don't have any models for this chinese medicine has much more of that they talk about the chi and and different things and in indian societies of course they've talked about chakras for thousands of years but in our society we don't have that and secondly um one of the things i say to clients i've said in in, in talks as well it's not you it's your biology but we think we 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 think we are our by bi our biology and so as a result of that we have no separation between our higher self and our biological self and until you start thinking in a way where you're 
compassionately observing behaviors of the body and start to cause that separation. It sounds like nonsense. You know, it, it really does. And I don't blame people for going, you know, kind of just throwing a skeptical eye or going, that sounds like, you know, complete crap. Um, I get it. Um, and, you know, when I was in medical school, I never would have went down all of these paths that I'm on now, but I'm sure glad I did. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely hard. It's hard. It's hard for people to grasp what we're talking about sometimes. Initially, you know, it's hard for all of us because, yeah, it's very different from what we were taught. It's very different from what we're culturally um, taught to believe or what's just like culturally accepted as a mainstream truth in the medical world. And um, yeah, I guess it's one of those things that we have to just feel it and uh, witness it to believe it <laughs> or just be at a place in our life where, like how you said, you just knew, you knew when you learned about that, the brain rewiring, that it was your truth, you know, but we have to definitely be ready to connect with and hear that truth. Yeah, absolutely. My kids are wonderful role models for that. I mean, they're masters of energy and emotion when they were tiny babies. I also I said this in one of my talks, I was like, you know, if I was, if they were upset and I was tense or upset, and I picked them up, they cried more. I could only really calm them if I were calm so right. vibrationally, they understand this energy. When they have emotions, they let them out. They experience them fully. Adults were, were emotionally constipated. Literally, uh, you know, we come into this world with, with the main skill sets we need, which are awe, wonder, wonder um, make-believe. And we should, like every other animal, let our play m help us maturate us into adulthood, which is we do make-believe and we become belief makers. But instead, most we we trade that for human operating system 1.0, which is shit happens and you die, uh, or you know the um, fear and scarcity, fear and scarcity, and then we struggle because we don't use the primary currency of the brain and the body, the cryptocurrency, which is emotions. And oh. that's our main struggle, really, is that if we could get back into um, but in the adult world, the emotions are like a four letter word, you know, it's like, I'm not emotional. We don't use our emotions. Um, right. Is, yeah. We okay. judge them. Um, I wanted to just repeat something that you said and just say how much I love it. I love when you said that we as children do make believe and the goal is to do make believe and become belief makers. I've never heard that before. And it's amazing. <laughs> I have a lot of those little things. I love um, it. It made me smile so hard. I still can't stop. I'm like, that is so beautiful. And something I wanted to touch on that I think is so brilliant is, you know, you hear a lot of, um, in the wellness and the growth in the spiritual community, you hear a lot about, uh, having that somebody needs to, um, change the, the trajectory of the, um, you know, like when you're a parent, if you don't heal your wounds, if you don't heal your yourself, if you don't step into living a life consciously where you're consciously representing certain values and beliefs, you pass it on generationally. And somebody has to be the one to stand up and say, I'm going to make this change so that I don't keep passing this on. And I think it's one of the beautiful things is how you even said you're noticing that if you're not calm when you pick your child up, you can't calm them down. And I think that's such a beautiful component because what a beautiful gift in all this work if you are a parent and have children to be able to now not only 
reap the benefits in your own body, mind, and soul, but to be a, a witness to the shifts that you can create in your, in your children's life, you know, and teaching them early on, teaching them, knowing these things and teaching them as a child to, as you said, do the make believe and become belief makers rather than them not having the opportunity from a parent who, who knows this stuff to teach them. Yeah. I, we definitely parent our kids uniquely between Brandy and I, my wife and I. And what I would say is, is that, and this is sometimes what I use as motivational fuel with my clients who have kids. I say, look, at the end of the day, we are vibrational beings and who we will become as a result of the other vibrations that we hang around. And in fact, all of us know this. It doesn't really matter what our parents said to us per se. It, we will primarily be who they were vibrationally, privately and publicly. You can't hide it. And we will repeat that pattern. And it has been my visualization. It has been my growth. It has been my mainstay of some of what I've done on the work on myself to literally take out this machete ginsu and cut the umbilicus of what was given to me generationally and vibrationally. And my kids, we emphasize breath. We emphasize how they're feeling. We emphasize to them that they need to curate their own heart and that telling the truth isn't about us. It's about them because that's what will, they will begin to know and judge about themselves. And so we mm. definitely do all those things. I have a, and, and they're so powerful. I still remember this day. I think my boy Jax was like two and a half, maybe, uh, maybe barely three. And he, had, he threw a tantrum. He's not, they've not had a lot of those, but he really, it was a 30, 40, 40 minutes. It just wouldn't calm down. And so I just kept staying calm and I kept telling him what had happened, the story that he was running and he fell down and then daddy came over and picked him up. And I kept trying to just pull him back into his, into his brain, out of his limbic system. I kept putting my hand on his heart, kept breathing. And he finally calmed down. And as we're driving back home, I hear my little girl Jayla singing and I can hear Jack saying something and I shush her. I'm like, Jayla, be quiet, please. And he's back there and he's telling the story to himself that I told him. Oh. I, he said, I running, I fall down and then daddy come and say, I okay. And I say to myself, I okay, I safe. And I mean, I, the tears were rolling down my face and I just was like, there, there was no stage, no applause that could have made me feel bigger or more victorious in that moment just to mm. have him be able to understand. Cause he got the work. He didn't need a whole seminar or DVD set or whatever else. He knew it intuitively. Like when I work with my kids and I get them out of their, their, emotionalism, whatever else. And when I really, really work with them, I've had times when they come over and after they're upset, they come over and just hug me and say, thank you. Cause they know what I've helped them with. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. <laughs> oh, it's so precious. Mm. If every child had this opportunity, speaking of that, do you know, I wonder, are there are there classes out there teaching this, like teaching parents how to use these tools with their children? I mean, 
I know, like you said, we're vibrational beings. So the parent obviously has to do the work first. That's the first step. You got to be the change. But I, I wonder if there's this almost, you know, the thing is sometimes, especially parents, they, they're so like, it's sometimes for a parent, it's so much easier for them to love and put everything into their child even before themselves. So I almost wonder if there's this adverse effect that could happen where if there were courses or classes and a parent sought this information to apply to their child, if by happenstance, it would also, in a sense, create shifts in, in, the, in themselves. Do you know what I'm saying? I absolutely know what you're saying. And we have one book on emotional freedom technique. It's called Gorilla Thumps and something other. And it kind of teaches that. But I've not seen any books. I have been asked or even had the download to write some books for myself. And one of the things that I think is so important that you said so beautifully here is that it's about modeling. But what we unconsciously are doing is that we give of ourselves so much to our kids in a way that most adult parents are martyrs because they're not standing for their own life, their own needs, and their own passions. So while it is, quote unquote, a giving parent, at the end of the day, what we're modeling is that nothing really is important and everything that I'm about should be left behind and should be unkept, uncared for. And what you do not give yourself, reciprocity cannot be given to anyone else. And so as a result of that, um, I have this, let's call it TED Talk undelivered. I don't know why I'm calling it TED, but it's called <laughs> it's called being adulterated or being adulterated. And it's all of the mythologies of adulthood that are unfortunately passed down. And, and that brings us to how we operate. Yeah, it's so true. And ah, you, you, you have such a great way of explaining everything. I love this, but um, <laughs> it's so true. The only thing when we, as parents, like you said, when you're not willing to take care of yourself and do self-care and take care of your own needs first, it's like, it does, it seems selfless, but you're literally, you are literally creating a byproduct of that. So you're literally raising a child to then accept that that's normal. And then for them to do it once again and to not take care of themselves, you know, in the same way. It is. And it's society, yeah. it's society's consciousness too, because it's a group consciousness and one of the other principles of adulthood that this feeds into and why we continue this cycle is because we all have this silent agreement to be humble, which is code for mediocrity. And so, mm -hmm. so let's have the safety of the herd so that you don't feel alone, but nobody rise up, nobody be too bright, nobody accomplish too much. And we start this in childhood. It's like, don't be too boisterous. If you won, don't say too much about it. If you're have a gift, don't don't show it off because it might hurt somebody else's feelings. And while we think we are helping other people, what we're really doing is projecting our own need to not showboat and not be great and not be magnanimous and not be infinitely possible in thriving within the bounty within ourselves rather than squirreling away the external resources just so that we can survive. And that, if that ability to do greatness means we have to rise above and to some degree be alone and like crabs in a bucket 
most often if you have a vision or a greatness, people are you going to allow other people to pull you back in because they're going to say, I don't see what you see. And so it's safer down here. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like that, that thought, um, when we actually allow our light to shine, we're actually giving permission to others to do the same, like rather than me dimming my light to help you feel better. Yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah. For it's sure. so funny. I would love to see there be coaches out there for parenting. Um, these, these ideas, these concepts, cause I know I've, talked on this, um, you know, amongst friends and family and stuff, but I don't have children. So I lose all credibility instantly because I don't have them. So I couldn't possibly have any sound advice to, to, to give somebody with them. Do you know what I'm saying? But it's, I almost think sometimes when you're on the outside, it's easier to sometimes be able to see things more clearly because you're not, um, yeah, sometimes when you're on the inside, I think it's just a little bit harder to see. It's kind of like when you see a friend in a relationship and it's easy for you to say, get out. But when you're yeah. the one in it, you don't see that, you know? Yeah. And there's a big, big misnomer that experiences wisdom. So I wouldn't say that you have anything necessarily to offer to give. You know, I just remembered there's a, there is one great children's book. It doesn't really go into teaching this, but I absolutely love it. And it is, um, do you know Mike Dooley? Oh, yeah. Okay. So you get his tut emails. He actually wrote a children's book. Um, he now has a young daughter. We actually got went to see him live one time. And his book is amazing about creating possibilities and miracles in your life. Uh, so for any listeners who have kids, I wish I could remember the book off the top of my hand. But I love reading it just for me. And this oh. is the other yeah, this is the other principle I would say is, is that if there are any listeners out there who want to really start getting back into this all wonderment and magic, just get get a meditation that's meant for kids. Find some place that there's even, a, I think, a podcast that tells bedtime stories to adults. But just start doing some of those things that you like to do as a kid and re-engaging those. You'll find that you start to shift back into remembering those that magic and modality that you had as quote unquote your younger self oh, i love that to do the things that you love to do as a child uh dr joe dispensa i think has some meditations for children have you ever checked them out i have not as big of a dr joe fan as i am i am surprised that i have not um, heard his meditation. So that's a great tip. Thank you for that. I'll mm -hmm. have I think they're on his meditations page that you can buy. Okay. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Dr. Joe. I know we were talking about him offline, yes. which I think it is like a good segue for me to kind of step back into, you know, we're kind of going down this journey and, and dissecting things, but you got into DNRS and I'm curious for the listeners because I know we talked offline and I want to get into this for them. Um, how long, I know you said you started getting some results around six months and I'm curious, like how long did you stay committed to DNRS and, and where did it take you from there? Because I know that you have a wide array of knowledge around all these different um, healing modalities like Dr. Joe Dispenza, you've already mentioned um, Bruce Lipton um, and then various brain rewiring programs. So where did where did you kind of go in this journey from there? And how did you kind of encounter these other modalities and what other principles have you brought into your path? Right. And so what I would say is, is that it's easy. 
in life in general and whether you're in business or you're brain rewiring or you're whatever you're trying to do there's always the latest trend there's always another system there's always uh, another webinar and so it's easy to get quote unquote trapped in looking for just the right answer so mm-hmm. i in my own life i've learned to cultivate action over inspiration and just yes. get moving I do think that everybody's path, not only in life, but especially in rewiring, is different. And once you start to get an understanding of your higher self versus your biological self, you'll know if you're coming up to places where it's just like, I need some other modality. I've only gotten so far, and it's great, and there's nothing wrong with shifting, not even shifting gears, but being more inclusive. And if I've learned anything in both my entrepreneurial and my rewiring journey is just don't let any one thing be your guru. Have faith in your own ability to heal. Faith is what you have when you're not holding on to anything else. And most people who don't end up healing or just having a really long healing journey, even rewiring, is is they still are playing in some margin. I had somebody who went through DNRS that I'm close to has probably one of the most miraculous stories. And she said that to me, she goes, the reason that people don't heal is that they still have margin. They still have places where they're playing. It's safe. They just are not all the way leaned into um, the, the work. And so that brought me into like, like you said, many, many modalities, whether it's havening or it's EFT or it's vagal re- reconditioning or it's somatic release or it's uh, Reiki work. It is, you know, or it could just be as simple as hypnosis or NLP because the, the, the subconscious is still holding on to something and needs an unlock. Mm-hmm. So um, it just depends on the person. Yeah. I mean, and most of all that stuff in some regard is a form of rewiring. It's all energy work. Yes. You know, which even brain rewiring, in my opinion, is energy work. Yeah. And if you're a big fan of, I mean, he's not the first person to say this, but, you know, like I said, Chinese medicine has known this for years. It talks about the energy and the magnetism of different organs and different feelings. And so those are then connected to, we're connected to each other. I mean, we think often about the fact that, or maybe we don't necessarily think often, but we have all these things that are mobile and cellular and wireless. And even even back in the days where radio was much popu- more popular at XM, all these things are communicating to each other. And so we have our own electromagnetic signature as well. How could we not? I mean, each ba- each cell in our body is 1.4 volts. So we have a massive amount of electrical and magnetic power as a result of that. And that is actually the first thing that you encounter when you walk up to somebody. And, and we have subconscious mechanisms, which include the pineal gland, to be able to sense that and to receive those, those inputs. So if this is a part of who we are, then the health of that electromagnetic signature is extremely important. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I really like, and I want to emphasize this for anyone listening, I really like how you said, or really how you kind of emphasize the importance of not letting one thing be your guru and to have faith. 
Um, and with that said, to not always need to be seeking the next solution, the next answer, the next, um, you know, trendy new webinar thought process, this process. Um, and with that said, I really, yeah, I mean, I always feel like, Hey, if you find something and you get this, this feeling of truth, kind of like how you did when you learned about DNRS, like you just knew it was your truth for you in that moment. I think it's so important to pursue that truth. And I also know through my own experience that we definitely might reach a point where that inner guide is saying, Hey, let's spread our wings. Hey, let's lean into something else. Or, Hey, this is feeling really authentic and real for me now. And I think it's really important to honor those truths and and sometimes what I see happening is we can get so rigid in no, but I have to do it this way or it won't work, or I have to only do it this way, or I can't, you know, heal. And we almost make these or create these limiting beliefs around healing from the work that we started to be, you know, to do the healing, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. It's so, it's so well put better than I could have even have said it. The way that I look at it as is that if you've, so much older movie, but still a great movie. It's a, um, Shawshank Redemption and one of the things that he's that Morgan Freeman's character says in that movie he talks about being institutionalized and this is something that I talk about with clients and, and in some of my talks is that that's what the brains is there to do is that any notion feeling whether it's negative or positive we look at our minds it is there to reproduce it and keep adding more like information to it. And at some point we end up making and, and drinking our own Kool-Aid and we get institutionalized by that. And so any rewiring process is, I'm not saying is better or worse or negative or positive, but I do know that it doing the work itself can become kind of like a self-limiting factor or seeing yourself as somebody that is, constantly sick and is just trying to get well as opposed to as opposed to being led by the intelligence in your body and knowing that hey this has gotten me so far and now i need to do what comes next because or if i didn't do my practice today that means i'm going to be worse that's right all, that's also a limiting belief as well because none of us are none of us are broken we're not we're not diseased we're not any of those things even though we might be labeled as such we're trying to return to a more whole energy state. Yes. And it, it's just a matter of what's that path going to look like. Absolutely. And I always say, gosh, I love this. that You really explain things so well. <laughs> um, so I really always say this. I always say that the path that I'm on, the journey I'm on is remembering. I'm just remembering who I am. Oh, because beautiful. I feel like we're all born and we know who we are. And then we're on this life journey. And this whole life journey to me is just all about remembering who I am and coming back into that authenticity and honoring that truth. I love it. You just reminded me of a beautiful quote from Ram Das. He said, we're all just walking each other home. Yes, Ram Das. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think... Yeah, I think the limiting beliefs thing is a really important, it, it's important for me to bring up, you know, I, I like that we're talking about this for the listeners, because this is unfortunately a common theme that I do see happen sometimes. And I'm curious, uh, I want, I would like a little bit more explanation for anyone listening, and even for myself, 
when you said that we in like rewiring, sometimes we can get stuck playing in a margin and playing safe. Could you kind of expand on that or give an actual like example of what that might look or feel like? Absolutely. So one of the things that is not clean and neat about this rewiring process is we think about it diagrammatically, like I'm plugging some wires in and I'm unplugging others. But if you think about it realistically, like what happens in the actual brain, we have these massive tree limbs and these branches. And as we're giving ourselves different thoughts, some of them are, are being made new and some of them are being pruned away, like you would prune uh, shrubs. But it's not a neat process. So it's not like you're just neatly cutting back one belief system and exercising a new one. As every time that you do this process, you get a new pattern in your brain. And as a result of that, you can have very varying levels of things that go on in your body or notions that go on in your head that may have been there before or may not have been there before. And so when we come to a place where we're thinking about margin and we're thinking about how that affects our ability to recover, it what it means is, is that for instance, in my own life, I have my wife and she's very dedicated to me. We're very dedicated to one another. She provides a certain amount of comfort if I'm in a place where I wasn't having a good day or maybe the things I was in more anxiety or more in, in some of my GI issues, I could count on her. I could count on her or maybe I could count on certain supplements that I would take or whatever else. And that allows me to not fully go into the fact that I am my healing. I am whole and that I have everything I need to be whole. And as a result, like a person in a pool, we are always floating in the middle somewhere. But let me just ask you, when do you get the most velocity to push off and get to the surface and produce some a different, a different person or a different reality is when you get to a zero margin event where all the margin is gone and you're at the bottom of the pool. And it's at that point where you can push off and then porpoise out of the top of the water like you never have before in your life. Mm, yes. Right. And so, so if you've listened to Joe or anybody else, I mean, he says it, but I've also said it in different ways, but we change usually under duress, right? When things, when the rug is pulled out from underneath us and not in a place where where we're in some in between. And so that's why often it feels like even in society and it personally, things have to get really to their worst before they can get better. Now that's not a law or a principle. It's just a matter of of our biology. And it's a it's a fact that we're a fish in water, but we don't know that we're in water. Right. So you think that kind of goes hand in hand with the idea I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in this healing journey, I'm doing rewiring, I'm doing these, this, these steps, these, you know, commitments, these daily disciplines every day. And there's a difference, like I can, I can play it safe, and I can stay home, and I can stay 100% perfectly in this beautiful little training zone that I've created and boxed out. And I can make sure that everything I listen to watch and everything I do and eat is within this this, this perfect little supportive zone and I can hang out and hide in my room. But there's like, but like, to me, that's, that's, I think that's such an integral part, but there also becomes this really integral part where we have to start kind of 
expanding and spreading our wings and, and going out and experimenting and doing the things. And, and, uh, it's kind of like if you can study relationships all day long, I can become a master of studying, um, relationships, but until I'm in relationship, experimenting with relationship, that's where the magic happens. Yes. And, and again, it's just action over inspiration. So it's, it's challenging for those people. And I've been in those challenges because you want to stay in your safety zone. But every time, think about it on a almost biological level. Every time that you choose your old wires over what the higher self wants to do, over what your, what your passion is, over what feeds your soul, you are physically feeding a finite amount of neural growth factor to those pathways that keep reproducing the same level of behavior. So, and you're starving out the little dirt road that you're trying to make. So that's where the thinking and feeling greater than you are is so important is because we need to start feeding. We need to start starving out the old, old big pathways and feeding the new small pathways in our brain. And it, that fight actually goes down to a biological level. And anybody who's been on a diet, even, even if your listener is not somebody who's chronic knows this, usually the third or fourth week is where the diet fails. And why? Because it's at that point where the, your body tries to unseat you, your arm hurts, your nose starts running, you start getting all the voices in your head, you get tempted by things. And, and that's because your body's like, wait a minute, you ate Doritos and Snickers at 12, 2 p.m. every day for the last, you know, three years. And now you want to feel health. Not only do you want to feel, do you want to eat healthy, but you want to feel good about yourself. Like a druggie, it's tapping, its body's tapping its arm and going, no, 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 no. Where's my hit? I need, mm. you know, I need, uh, yeah. uh, it's a junkie, right? Literally. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that brings me to the question and, and maybe you have some insight for anyone out there listening. I know that in this journey that I've been on, I've definitely had these moments um, where I kind of have to step back and ask myself um, and get really clear about the message I'm receiving and what's my truth. And I know this is sometimes where a coach or a guide can help, but right. do you have any advice or insight for somebody who, who like maybe needs help to really dissect and interpret when they're getting this feedback or information? Is it say self-sabotage versus like inner wisdom and inner authority? You know, like if something, it's like something is, um, you know, like say I like have this, like, no, I feel like I need to spread my wings. I need to expand into using some new tools and give my training a refresher. And how, how can somebody know if that's like just that old voice that's trying to sabotage them because they know that what they're doing is working and it wants to keep you safe and in the same known, or how can they differentiate when it's actually their inner authority and that truth showing through in their, um, in their, intuition yes and and great question so what i would say fundamentally there are very few truths in life it's so what i say to people is that it doesn't matter what's true it only matters what you're trying to prove and so in those places where you're trying to decipher what the voice is that is speaking to you right now and whether it is a personal guidance system or a pathway that has been put you on autonomic response ask yourself in this moment what am i trying to prove mm. 
in this moment, what am I trying to prove? Do you understand that? Do you get the depth of that? Even if the listeners are listening, it should land. But how do you know? What, what if somebody goes, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't hear the answer, you know, because that happens. There's some of us, we do, we get to a point where we're so disconnected. We're so conditioned that we're so disconnected to our, our truth. Well, this, this is, this is one exercise that I do with people that I feel like regrounds them. So whenever you're really out there in the ether, you need, you, you don't need, but you can choose to have some regrounding of breath, some regrounding. Um, and one of the easiest ones is of course, we all default to the breath, right? Because the breath is the first thing that we heard in the womb, the breath, our, our own breath. But one of the things that if breath doesn't work for you that I like to do is I play the what else is true game. Have you, have you done this? Um, I don't know that I've played. I don't know that I know this specifically. I do know the work of Katie Byron where you ask, is this true? I see. So I, I, I haven't heard that from Katie. Um, but, but basically, basically, Oh, I know what you're talking about now. I do know what the you're four questions. About. Is this true? Is it really true? Who am I? Right. If this thought but is true. So this is a different concept in where where you ask you keep asking yourself what else is true so that you can get out of the fuzz of the moment and get back into your higher self is to say if you're stuck in a moment and say what else is true I have um, a loving mom what else is true I have plenty of food on the table what else is true I've had so many successes what else is true I've I've done this for eight months religiously what else is true and you just keep focusing on whatever is true in front of you until you can calm down your emotional brain, your limbic brain to a place where you can start to ground back into your own sense of uh, inner voice and start to drown out the inner critic so that you can trade it for that inner coach. Mm, I love it. Yeah. Because you're, like you said, you're, you're calming down the limbic brain because that's the truth at, at the end of the day, anytime that we're not connected to that inner knowing that inner truth, it's because, uh, Limby's in overload, <laughs> right? Right. She's and loud and chaotic. And the, the double-edged sword is that in this, in the present moment where all the power is, is where you are trying to escape. So most people who have a chronic condition, they're always escaping the present moment. And in fact, our whole society is based on external distraction out of the present moment. That's how most of all the things that we buy, do, or consume are really there for us. They're not to bring us back into ourselves. So we learn this, but it becomes 10x when you're in a place where you're in some kind of chronic condition. So the power is found in the present moment and all we're doing is escaping it and leaving our body. So that's what regrounds us because we think, oh, if we leave here, we can find it somewhere else when it's only found in the moment that you're living. Mm, I love this so much. I want to ask you another question about this. So if there's somebody listening, I'm just, I'm curious what your insight is to this. Um, if, because yes, it is ingrained. It's ingrained into our societal culture to like escape the now. So I'm curious how you would provide insight to somebody. Let's say that they have a symptom that's very, you know, painful, debilitating. And what would you, how would you speak to this instance with them in this, in this moment of pain? Like, how would you help them to be in the now and to just fully be 
in the now with whatever they're feeling, even if it's hard or painful. So yeah, that's and that's a it's a it's a challenging question, and I've been there, and I know how desperate it is because it can feel like that it's so all-consuming. And the really big challenge is is that we, when we're in this really high brainwave state of fight or flight, we will not receive any emotion or information that's not already vibrationally equivalent to how we're feeling and thinking. So that's where it becomes really challenging to come to terms or to reason with somebody in this situation. I have had this guy from a Latin American country message me quite a bit and he keeps asking me fundamental questions of will it work? Will I will I be okay? All of those things. So what I would say to say to anyone who's really at this point is that you can find some place in your life, something in your life, whether it's a person, whether it's an old toy, whether it's a teddy bear, whether it's, you know, I'm even talking to adults here, not, not whatever can give you, whether it's, you know, you look at the amazing pictures because the iPhone will make amazing collages of my kids. I used to use those and help them bring me back into a place where I know that there's something more to me than all of this nonsense that is going around in my body right now. Mm -hmm. Right. So get connected back to life and getting connected back to life. Isn't about having a life and doing all the things that you feel separate from. It's about getting connected to something that's a part of your core. And maybe that looks like childhood pictures or pictures of your kids or a treasured, like I said, bear or whatever it is that is for you or music is one thing that's so amazing because um, they've done really amazing neurological studies with music but getting a playlist in a certain time of your life that can put you into a different mood so finding some emotional anchor somewhere and using that for all it's worth i mean chris hansen and his methodology would talk about holding any beautiful moment for as long as possible. And what I kind of put a twist on that, it's like holding a note on a guitar or a saxophone that's beautiful for as long as you can. So that's just some place to start. It's like a yeah. big, big wall that's smudgy and dirty. You just want to clean off one small spot. Yeah. Uh, you don't need to do it all today, but just clean one small spot and consider that your best for today. Absolutely. And I think it's so easy in the middle of like some type, you know, pain or dis-ease in the body that we can get so caught up in what we're, what it's limiting us how, or how it's limiting us and what it's limiting and limiting us from or by. Yes. And I know something that I, that the tool that I always like kind of default is going into gratitude mm. and it's like, okay, am I waking up today feeling way less energetic than I had hoped? Okay. Well, I think, what can I be grateful for? Like, what can I be grateful for about this? And it's even if it's okay, well, I get to lay around today and read a really good book, you know, um, or I can be grateful that I just even have this really comfy bed and cozy space that I get to rest in, you know? So I always bring myself back, um, through gratitude. 
gratitude is huge. I think laughing is huge too. And so communities that I've, that, you know, not only does it produce such amazing neurochemicals, I mean, it, 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 it literally, they did a research study where it, it turned on some 800 genes in, in diabetics and, and lowered their overall um, A1C. Uh, but it, it produces so many things. But the other thing that laughing is so amazing at is because the vagus nerve, and that's one big thing, is that the whole, auto, the whole autonomic nervous system is, is, in, is in dysautonomia, usually in chronic conditions. But the vagus nerve interferes the diaphragm. And when you're laughing, you are stimulating the vagus nerve, which stimulates, which, which innervates almost every major organ system in your body. And you're producing such feel-good chemicals. That is something that I'm leaning really back heavy into just for my own personal life. And that will open up your heart in a way that if even if you're having trouble finding to be something grateful for, because you can fake that and have yes. the same results. Yes, you can fake laugh. <laughs> yeah. I know I, I, on the beginning of my podcast, often or at the end, I always tell people like make a commitment, even if it's 60 seconds a day to like make yourself laugh, <laughs> like fake it till you make it. It's the one thing that fake it till you make it. It really, really works. <laughs> it, it, it does work. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I wanted to also point out, like you said, you have this person who kind of emails you constantly and asking, is this going to work? Is it, is it, am I going to be okay? All these things. I see a lot of people and this is something, this is literally like the message I want to share with the world. I want people to take their damn power back. I want them Mm. to step into their truth and own their power and stop giving it away. And I know I'm not saying it's anyone's fault that they're not there yet because we are, it is inbred in our culture from the time we are little kids to give our power away. It is our parents know best, our teachers know best, our doctors know best, our church pastors know best. Like, And it's like time for us to take our power back. And I think part of it, and I get it, there's fear when we're starting a new program and when we've tried all these things and nothing's worked and we're just at this hopeless state, we enter into a program potentially And all the time I just see people, well, can I do this? Well, can I do it that way? Well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And there's so much fear in the questions. And I constantly, constantly will speak up and say, stop asking everybody else. What does it feel like to you? What feels right to you? And I love how you brought up the, the, um, the, the truth question, the what else is true, because I think that's a a wonderfully powerful tool to help people take their power back because they might find in asking that question, that question to themselves, rather than asking said other question to everybody else is they're going to get to the answer. They're going to get to the answer in themselves. If, you know, doing like, for example, let's just say in DNRs, if doing around silently, because literally that's all you can do to get it in that day, you know? Right. And, and they're going to know like in that question game that you, you talked of, I think that's going to really help people get into that truth and take that power back and not need to give it all away to everybody else. Not even in these systems, not even in this journey. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And so, you know, we could, I could wrap up all my statements and what you said beautifully is, is that this is about reclaiming your sovereignty. Yes. The whole process is about reclaiming your sovereignty. That's it. Period. Period. Yes. 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 And more yes. And isn't this the year for that? 
in so many ways. <laughs> that's, a, that's a separate podcast, my friend. Yeah, I know. But really, it's such a powerful, really prevalent um, word and expression and feeling right now in, in so many dimensions. Uh, so many dimensions. Could not agree more. Gosh, so I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time here, but I do. Okay, I feel like I could talk to you forever. It's just so much fun. Um, but I do want to ask if you had, like, who are your go-tos? Like, if there's somebody out there and they've kind of done all the Western medicine and all the things, and they're just like, I don't know what's next. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. But I stumbled upon this podcast and there's this brain rewiring and they're talking about Dr. Joe Dispenza and I'm hearing all these names. Like who would you kind of sum up as being your top go-tos as far as your sources of inspiration on this journey, like that you could recommend to anyone listening? Well, I would, I would definitely say that the top three people that I could recommend would be one Bruce Lipton to read his biology of belief. Amazing Uh, book. Love him by the way. Want to be just like him when I grow up. (laughs) Um, you know, to some extent, really, we have these mirror neurons, these, these neurons in our brain that when we see somebody else do something, we leave our subconscious body and we become them. That's the principle of watching a movie and why it makes it so thrilling is because we are the movie. So there is, um, if you, if you can look it up online, there's a really great documentary by, well, it's not even a documentary. It's just, a sh- it's like 45 minutes by Norman Doidge, who wrote the book, The Brain That Changes Itself. But it has really amazing, like, things that just are in neurology. And I think it gives people, it gave me a sense of, like, what's possible, mm-hmm. right? Because they're healing these neurological conditions that previously just didn't like somebody who completely lost their balance due to taking a drug. Now they rewired it. Mm, Yeah. Is that the name of the documentary, the brain that changes this? I know that's this book, but is that, I don't think it's the name of the documentary itself, but if you, if you look for Norman Doidge on YouTube, you'll inevitably find that. um, uh, I will look it up and then leave it in the show notes for people. And, And then the, the other two that I would mention would be, and she's probably not as well known per se, uh, is Dr. Sue Mortar. Her dad. Oh, I don't know her. How do you spell that last name? M-O-R-T-E-R. Okay. Uh, she, her dad actually started all this energetic work in the 60s and 70s, um, way before it you know, came here to the States and was doing a lot of this, this kind of stuff. She's actually from the from Carmel, Indiana, where I'm at, where I'm based out of, and I I met her, and she has a clinic here. She's a chiropractor, but she's had some amazing um, quantum experiences, let's call them that, mystic experiences. But she's science based, and she wrote a book called The Energy Codes. Um, oh, I know the book. You know that book? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so so, and then finally, you know, we mentioned him multiple times. But Joe Dispenza, and the the thing that I think Joe does well, and again, it's going to be because there's so many people like Carolyn Miss, and there's just so many people to investigate here that that have different come froms. But one of the things that Joe does really well is we we hear about these 
spontaneous healings and placebo effects and so forth. And up until now, one of the things that I would like to impart to your listeners is that that which does not neatly line up with how you understand the world is soon forgotten. That's why when you're in a limbic state, it's almost... it's almost impossible to remember your tools, to remember anything great that you've done. And it's the same way in science. If people spontaneously, even without rewiring or these, they recover from really awful illnesses, but medicine never chases after them. We never ask why, because it's too far outside of how we understand the world that operates. And what Joe does is he brings these phenomenons of healing and of being able to change your state both neurochemically and genetically into a place where you can understand it. What does it mean to really meditate? What does it mean to access the quantum field? What does it mean? What is the difference between our feelings and our sensations? All of those things, he defines them in such a way and allows us to then have a model that we can't back out of because the problem is is that we entertain healing and we back out of it because we don't believe it's possible for us one of the main limiting beliefs in any chronic chronic illness is the that everybody has is that even people who get better i've had it too well i'm going to heal this much but i can't heal all the way right still healing, limiting healing's not for me i i can't be well my stick identity is stronger than my wellness identity so, and Joe has a, an amazing way of busting some of those open. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Um, before I wrap it up, I do want to give you a chance to talk about what you're up to in the world. I know we've briefly kind of talked about that you're coaching, but I'd love for you to just, if you're open to it, sharing a little bit more. And that way, if people really felt connected to you today, um, I'm curious what type of clients that you are supporting, you know, so that we can also just make sure that we get the right people directed over to you. Sure. Absolutely. So I, you know, help people teach people how to master their internal world. So the external world is simple. I consider myself sort of a spiritual mechanic, a quantum healer of sorts, you know, um, and, I help people get out of the anxiety and overwhelm and I sort of teach them to go through the stages where they need a belief, they need a skill to get back into arousal and then a belief to get back into flow and then a, and, and, uh, and then a release to get um, into control. And sort of my clients tend to be entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial, visionary, influencers, who play in this space, but know that and understand that their mindset is going to be everything about their success, but their visions are much greater than just, you know, their personal success. They're here to change the world in their own way. Mm. And so um, that's not to say that I've never taken on any people who are limbic or have other types of uh, chronic issues, but that's not really the mainstay of my clients. And that's just my, preference at this time, you know, having gone through the journey myself, but, um, every now and then if there's somebody that really appeals to me and, um, I know that they're serious about the work, then I will, you know, say, Hey, okay, we can, we can work together. Uh, one-on-one coaching. And then I have a mastermind that I call mentor mind. And it's really different and that it's intimate and that I curate it carefully 
and it's about blowing past the one thing that's limiting you in a 90-day process. I do something really authentic and deep and enrolling in the first 20 minutes of a 90-minute call, and then we all mentor each other because leaders need a mirror, not a compass. And so just as I talked about earlier about being able to let go of your subconscious beliefs when somebody speaks into you, that's a quick quantum hack in a way which you can do really quick work by experience through somebody else's experience. And so we all coach each other. So um, I am enrolling enrolling for that right now. Actually, I'm starting my next cohort. So if anybody's interested, they can find me at my Instagram handle, which is the brain warrior, or can, they can just email me at Neil N E A L at the brain warrior.com. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. So you're really, it's like not just dealing with the person in chronic pain. You're looking for more of the person who is ready to rewire, to take life to that next level or their job or their vision and be uh, shift changers. Yes. Awesome. That's beautiful. It's like a whole new world of rewiring. It, it is a whole new world of that, rewiring. That's the coolest thing about rewiring is like there's infinite potential for us to rewire as long as we're still breathing and alive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. 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 Neil, do you have any like just last thoughts, any last piece of advice, any anything else you just want to leave the listeners with before we say um, goodbye? Yeah, so what I would say is is that we are here to experience what has already been given. Whatever we, and that's greatness, and whatever you need is vibrating one inch from your skin. It is not separate from you in any way. All that, all that is separating you from that is you being able to surrender and allow what is already there to flood in. And mm-hmm. so allowing your getting yourself out of the way is the most important part of any journey, especially healing. Yes. Get out of your way. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing and thank you for your time um, and generosity today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. I might have to someday bring you back on again. Cause I feel like people are going to want to hear more of you. You <laughs> uh, have uh, so much to offer. Awesome. Well, thank you, my friend, for this opportunity to speak with you and your listeners. And I really, really do appreciate it. Well, that is a wrap, self-healers. And as always, thank you for being on this journey with me and for your ongoing support. Please consider taking a moment to rate and or review this podcast on Apple today or share this episode with a friend. Don't forget about our non-dominant hand challenge. And until next time, make this week great.